In this episode, I have Coulter Fosdick on the podcast, and we talk about Arizona coos deer hunting. You are listening to the Archery Maniacs podcast. This is Remy Warren. I am Rihanna Carey. My name is Adam Foss. This is Paul Tetford, professional archer. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Titus, and you are listening to Archery Maniacs. We cover everything archery, from the hunting side to the tournament side, with stories, tips and tactics, gear reviews, and more. That helped my tuning game so much when I made sure that all my arrows were square. I'm just staring into his eyes. Blood's dripping off of its tines. Mud is everywhere. The clarity these mavens offer is amazing. I'm just like Spider-Man, you know, on this rock. You know, just <laughs> laying there. Belly crawling in there, and I can barely fit in there, and I can hear the cat growling at me. So I put my hand on his shoulder and pushed him, and we just ran at this elephant. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Archery Maniacs podcast. Uh, today, I have Coulter Fostick on the other line, and he and I are going to talk about coos deer uh, or cows, I guess, depending however you want to say it. <laughs> I say coos, but uh, we're going to talk about some of the similarities and differences between that and hunting something that a lot of people on here might be a lot more familiar with the mule deer. Uh, and then we'll probably dive into a little bit of gear and tactics and other things like that. We're just going to kind of let it go where it goes. So uh, thanks a bunch, Coulter, for hopping on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, uh, I'm friends with Brian and <laughs> I saw a, a picture where he, where you guys were hunting together. And I still had no idea it was was you, <laughs> as we discussed a little bit ago. And I was like, "Oh, cool! Somebody that knows how to hunt coos deer. Let's have, let's talk to him." <laughs> uh, yeah, no. But, but yeah, thanks for hopping yeah. on. Yeah, for sure, no problem at all. Yeah, just kind yeah, of. Yeah. So uh, why don't you went ahead? Let's... Yeah, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about yourself. No, That'd I went Yeah, for sure. So. um yeah, my name's Coulter. I live down here in central Arizona. I'm a blue-collar working guy with uh, two daughters and uh, basically hunt on the weekends. And uh, that's my main passion is bow hunting. I don't really have too many other hobbies except for uh, you know being a dad and taking my kids camping and uh, playing the creeks and drag my little one up on vantage points and do a bunch of glassing with her as much as she may or may not like it but um yeah i'm a, a bow i'm a bow hunt maniac and uh you know pretty much you know spare time outside um you know normal daily activity i'm either uh glassing scouting or uh you know uh you know doing the best i can to make myself more knowledgeable for the the little bit of days i might be able to get out in the field as a you know a 40-hour week uh, working guy gotcha Gotcha. Yeah, you definitely have to make, you know, take advantage of all the time you got, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I kind of gathered from... Go Go ahead. ahead. No, I just... uh, We we got a slight lag, everybody, so um, bear with us. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But no, I uh, used to, you know, go on these expeditions, you know, driving hours away and just... uh, you know, when I had more time and now that I'm pretty much restricted to Saturdays and Sundays, I've kind of reeled in my locations to be, you know, within more of proximity of where I live so I can spend more time out there, uh, you know, getting to know 
getting to know the deer. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Oh. Well, cool. So when, you know, when did you get to go back, you know, when, when did you first start going and hunting coos deer? Well, <clears throat> back in, uh, so I grew up in Arizona. Um, I started my bow hunting, um, career down here, um, started, uh, you know, my first big game animal I took, um, with any weapon was a javelina with a bow during rifle season. So, uh, kind of cut my teeth, uh, shooting one of those desert pigs down here. And then I have to, awesome. do, uh, yeah. And then I happened to do some traveling around for a big box, uh, hunting sporting goods store for a while, moved some different to some different States out East. And, uh, you know, unfortunately a year and a half in different States, it was kind of hard to dial in and, you know, uh, get your spots down. So I spent some time traveling, but back in 2011, I ended up in Montana, Southwest Montana, South of Bozeman and, uh, me and, uh, one of my buddies, Brian Barney there, um, in Madison County, we, uh, you know, it was a cold winter, you know, it was in the negatives and we decided to take a trip down South and, uh, get, get into a little warmer weather and, uh, just take on a new opportunity. So with the, the over the counter non-permit tags that are offered down here, um, you know, in the month of January is just a great time to, you know, escape some of those cold weather states. So yeah, we made the road trip down here and, <laughs> um, you know, did, uh, I bought a, I bought a book and did some research and, uh, you know, there's a book called, uh, I think it's called, uh, how to coos deer hunt. I think, uh, Dwayne Adams is actually the, the author of that book, but it's a good informational book that just has some basic information, um, you know, unit to unit just to kind of sit down and kind of figure out where you want to start as far as what units you want to hunt and, you know, what types of uh, trophy quality or population quality there is. But so, yeah, we decided to come down, took uh, 10 days off and came down, uh, drove down here and basically truck camped and uh, hunted a unit that we had done some, uh, you know, map scouting for and had some vantage points uh, picked out and just kind of started uh, hopping canyons and glass and coos deer and we just uh, man we just hit it right and got into them right away so um, but uh, found out that they're quite challenging you know when when we would <laughs> you know when we would glass them up you know especially during the rut they're just uh, constantly on the move so um, you might see one and you know he might be out there a mile and you find him, and you know within seconds he's vanished and just out of your life. So sometimes as as quick as you find them, they're they're gone and you never see them again. So that's yeah uh, definitely challenging. But um, also we found uh, they just really really blend into their environment. Their uh, you know gr small body and their gray coat just blends into the terrain. So you can find one in the wide open, be glassing and uh you know the light changes or whatever and you could be staring right at them and you just lose them you know i'd be tell your tell your buddy i got a deer and uh you know you start to try to describe where he's at and then you know you're looking back through the binoculars and he's he's just gone he can't find him again and sitting there staring <laughs> for a while and an ear twitches and you find him again yeah but uh, i bet you get called a liar a lot huh <laughs> yeah no it's just uh yeah you're uh 
you know, typical kind of conversation on the vantage point is, you know, I got a deer. Wait, I lost him. What? The, oh, wait, there he is. Hold on. And, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty tough to get somebody else on them sometimes, but it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. It's definitely, uh, you know, from my experience, um, glass and big game, it's, it's, it's gotta be up there is one of the most difficult ones to, to glass up and then also to keep track of them. Absolutely. So are you, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about cues and then I'll have you kind of compare that and meal, meal deer, but are you, are you trying to locate them and then bed them up and then stock in that way? Is that, is that kind of how you find more of your success since they're so hard to relocate? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you're just, you know, we're, we're picking them up on the move and, uh, you know, if they're far off and they're kind of coming in your locality where you might be able to, you know, drop a ridge or, you know, try to cut them off, um, you know, that doesn't seem to work out too well, but, you know, that's one of the, one of the opportunities you might take. Um, bedding, you know, seems to be pretty good. Also, you know, I've had some deer that I've bedded down and have gone on the stock and it's like, you know, they have a sixth sense and the wind's perfect. Um, you're quiet as can be. And, you know, you get into 70 yards and they just, you know, they get up and just walk away, not even uh, busted or anything. They just sometimes just they just don't stay very long. It seems like, but I find that the <laughs> best, the best uh, combination for a successful stock has been, um, you know, a buck trailing a doe. Um, okay. Uh, the buck will, you know, it's usually a little easier to keep track on, you know, two deer. You have, you know, the does usually you know, 30, 45 yards or more, the bucks, you know, trailing or just typical kind of whitetail ha habits. But um, that seems to work pretty well. You're able to kind of keep track of them a little better. You got two deer to keep track of. Um, the buck. Gotcha. Yeah, the buck definitely has his guard down. He's, uh, I mean, just passionately staring at her and, um, you know, waiting <laughs> for approval. And uh, it's kind of weird. The doe seems to usually uh, have her guard down too. Like she's kind of, you know, just sashaying her hips around and just kind of, you know, hypnotizing <laughs> the buck. And I don't know. They just, they kind of, uh, that's, I think that's the best opportunity really in my, in my opinion, as far as betting or, um, you know, anything goes is to find that buck trailing the doe and you know it's easier to keep track on them and um you know if you can move in close and everything works out you know i think that's a that's a good bet there gotcha gotcha yeah it seems like you know i, I mean obviously with any animal but uh you know anytime you can get 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 the attention away from you you know uh that, that always you know seems extremely helpful for sure yeah, and then, you know, mule deer kind of, mule deer in the rut kind of seem to be different in, you know, different regions, but, you know, up in Montana, you might have a buck and, you know, 10 or 15 does, so you have a bunch of eyes, you know, so it makes it a little more difficult. Down here, it seems, in my experience for mule deer in the rut, just doesn't seem like we've got um, as big of herds or, you know, bucks pushing herds around, it's usually a I mean, kind of the same thing in my encounters, more just a, a buck and doe pair. But, um, gotcha. So it doesn't really, huh, I wonder what, seem like what you causes that. that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you think like it's lower it's, numbers? Yeah, definitely the deer numbers are, you know, the density is definitely lower. But, you know, I think elk are the same way down here. I just they, the herds, you know, when they are herded up, just seems to be kind of a bit, you know, quite a bit smaller than they would be or in numbers than, um, you know, some other places that I've been anyways. Huh. That's kind of an interesting observation. Yeah, like, like I told you, I've, I've never – it's on the list to do, um, but it seems like yeah. I keep finding my way into, you know, South Dakota and Idaho and all these other places. And then sure. by the time I get there, my wife is like, you want to go where? Uh, another hunt? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. But yeah, but, like I said, it's uh, there's a lot of overlap seasons with January. So, you know, it's about yeah, to yeah, to, for sure. to do if you know, if you get uh, some time off in January, there's really no other conflicts unless the the wife has something for you. <laughs> right. I think that list is longer than I want to want to talk about. But <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I'm just kidding. But um, when you you know when you go to start looking for for the coos deer, are you you know is there is there a ter- certain type of vegetation that you try to focus your, you know, your efforts on that they're they're usually munching on or usually around or are they usually in, you know, drainages that are that are that have water closer or I mean obviously it's Arizona so I would assume that water is kind of far few and far between everywhere but yeah I think you kind of get what I'm sure. asking. <laughs> yeah no for sure I mean uh, there's there's they live in a bunch of different types of terrain so it's just kind of you know some guys like to hunt them in different you know in different spots so you can find them in the desert flats down in you know southern arizona where they're living you know on uh flat desert country and sorrel cactuses and you can find them in that kind of mid uh desert chaparral um you know, kind of that 4,000, 4,500 foot elevation where you kind of got yellow grass and oaks and mesquites. And, um, and then, you know, you could find them up north in the, in the Ponderosa Pines, you know, in the, in the timber too. So there's just kind of, just kind of pick your poison, you know. So try to find, you know, for me as a spot and stock bow hunter, I try to find something where I can, you know, glass and be able to, you know, have the best opportunity to be able to move around country, keep track of them. So, you know, the Ponderosa Pines, you know, isn't really um, set up for, you know, for my style of hunting. I'm not going to be able to, you know, spot spot one and keep track of them in the timber. So a lot, a lot of those guys are tree stand hunting over salts or, or water. And then, huh. uh, you know, all the other, ter- gotcha. all the other terrains pretty, all the other terrain's pretty open, so you can, uh, you know, you can kind of keep track of them, but it's pretty tough. I mean, uh, so yeah, the, the I've hunted down in southern Arizona. Um, the deer I took this year was in central Arizona. I uh, was kind of at that, what I kind of think is a magical elevation, about 40, 42 to 4,500 feet, and Yellow, um, I don't know what kind of grass it is. I just call it yellow grass, but they really like, um, you know, open hills, like the open hillsides with yellow grass and, um, you know, some type of, uh, you know, your typical type of, you know, bedding, whether it's uh, juniper, 
junipers or oaks or you know some type of north north facing uh vegetated hillsides where they can kind of go and disappear for the day sometimes but gotcha. it varies man i've kind of you know another <clears throat> observation i've made is um a lot of the hunting i've done has been on real predominant ridges so i find that like you know i'll just kind of observe it from long distance glassing but i'll be glassing and i might notice some deer over a couple days and over those couple days you know i'll see uh, multiple different bucks use the the exact same ridge you know the spine of the ridge or move over from one side to the other of the ridge so a lot of my time i end up finding a vantage point pretty close to these main predominant ridges that might you know kind of move from lower to higher country and i just kind of almost work it like a like a high country basin you know i'll find a, a vantage point and then use that ridge to be able to work up or down and, um, you know, use the contour of it to, you know, to be able to move country and try to, uh, you know, pick my play. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. It, it sounds like the name of the game there is glassing. It sounds like you just spend yep. hours and hours glassing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're can glass your eyes out for sure. A lot of the guys, down here prefer you know higher power binoculars um i've got you know a small assortment of some glass but you know some some just depends on you know how far you're looking and you know the country you're looking over but yeah lots of time behind the tripod you know tripod glassing um is is necessary i mean I, when i got my first pair of good binoculars and learned how to glass i I mean, I pretty much was glassing off a tripod and, um, I've found it hard over the years, no matter what state I go to that, you know, if I'm going to pick apart, you know, a, a basin or a ridge or a mountainside or whatever, I mean, for me to set that tripod up and pick it apart, uh, I'm doing myself a favor. If I just put my binos on top of my uh, bow or glass off hand, I'm just not nearly as productive as I am behind the tripod. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Well, funny to me, I guess, because I used to be like, "Oh, look at these guys! You know, who the hell do they think they are? A tripod to glass, you know?" <laughs> and then, yeah. and then, and then I tried it the first time, and I was like, "I was the idiot, you know. I was. I should have yeah. been doing this a long time ago." <laughs> yeah, no, it's handy for sure. You know, I'll, uh, everybody's got their system. I, uh, I uh, have a. Yeah, you know, I actually started using one of my first tripods because my other tripod took a crap. So I ended up using one of my old school uh, Manfrotto tripods. But but yeah, I, I work a, I basically set it up and I'll work a grid. Everybody kind of works their different grids or has their systems. But I'll set up and then just kind of start. I'll do a quick scan just to see if I catch anything on the move. And then uh, I, I have a habit of basically starting in the the top left corner of my view and you know, of the, the terrain I'm looking over and I work in a, uh, what I would call like a, a Chinese reading format, you know, where I start at the top, top left and then down over to the right, back up. I kind of work in these vertical up and down grids from left to right and, and, uh, just kind of repeat glass, repeat glass and, and, uh, pretty much do that for hours. Cause those things are just <laughs> like, so they blend in, they blend in and, also, another uh, observation I made over the years, um, 
is yeah, you might catch some deer first thing in the morning. You might catch that solo buck cruising, but my observation is, uh, I was explaining with Brian here a couple weekends ago, but nine thirty to ten thirty in the morning seems to be kind of what I've perceived as prime time for AM glassing. So it seems like it takes them a little while to warm up and get going. <laughs> and that's kind that's of where interesting. I, where I pick up. Where, yeah, so that's kind of when I pick up most of the deer sightings is somewhere around that 10.30, or sorry, 9.30 to 10.30 range is kind of, like I said, I call that prime time for, for coos deer myself. That's cool. That's, yeah, because I, you know, <clears throat> I, as you know, you know, you go out and you hunt mule deer or whatever, it's, your your prime time is almost always that first first bit of light and the, first, and the last bit of light, you know, it's, uh you don't catch something moving then it's it gets it gets proceedingly harder to uh to locate them for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah but to the right yeah, that, that, that obviously makes a difference because i'm you yeah, know i'm from sure. wyoming we don't we don't really have a rut hunt um there's three or okay. four tags in the whole state that go you know past there there's a couple of them that go to about november 10th and i think there might be three or four that go farther than that um so you know we don't okay <clears throat> it's not like you know montana or arizona or something like that where you're hunting where you can hunt right in the middle of it all so uh that's that's, yeah. that's pretty new as well <clears throat> yeah and montana has a, a rifle mule deer rut hunt which is right right <laughs> which is pretty rough <laughs> let's just hammer them all (laughs) yeah yeah lots of uh lots of two-pointers going down oh man too and they they just thought they were doing great too chasing that doe around (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah like you said um typically you know prime time for most big game is you know your first half hour and your last half hour give or take i uh I was hunting desert muleys down here um, in August and September for the early archery season. And the bucks that I was on, literally like the sun would come up and they glass them up and they were on the move and like to their bed in like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I mean, they were just, you couldn't keep up with them. I'd glass them up. They'd be in the same same general area every day, but I'd find them. And if, if I didn't pack my stuff up and make a move and try to cut them off i mean they were just they were gone for the day just they uh their their tongues were hanging out and i mean it would be you know pushing 100 degrees you know 10 10 o'clock in the morning so they're they're gone jeez that's nuts i i can't i couldn't even imagine <laughs> being out there i mean i guess i guess i filmed a, a blacktail hunt in july in california and it was it was pretty warm um but other than that you know when i think of hunting yeah. I, I definitely don't think of 100 degrees <laughs> yeah no, you can't you can't get too far from the truck that's for sure your deer meat will turn the jerky before you get it back <laughs> yeah it sounds like it it sounds like it so when you go out there you know I, I obviously i think for some of the units not all of them you can you can get a javelina tag as well um do you do you usually see javelina near coos or are they kind of just you know do their own thing or 
what what do you have you noticed there? You know, in the the spots I've been hunt, hunting deer in, um, I don't see a ton of them. I mean, I might might be glassing and I'll find a small herd here or there, but um, I think you know I can't claim to be a I'm you know, definitely more knowledgeable on deer than javelina. It's been I I killed that one as my first my first uh, javelina and big game animal years ago and um, haven't really hunted them since. I actually had a tag this year, um, but focused on deer. And then after I got my uh, my tag filled on deer, I just just didn't really have an interest to be honest with you. I just I already have a yeah went ahead. I already had a you know I. I worked on butchering up a deer and uh had uh you know, i'm gonna have an expensive taxidermy bill and i just just didn't know what i was gonna do with more you know even that much more meat so i like going out and hunting and stuff but i actually after i tagged out i still went out and and just glass deer i just i just really like like hunting and pursuing and filming filming bucks so even though i had a javelina tag i was going back to my deer spot and <laughs> just keeping track yeah. of my buddies up there yeah heck yeah but yeah it's, heck I, yeah i I think uh i think javelina like um a little lower elevation than where i have have been kind of hunting um recently i think they kind of like the uh the the dry river beds and washes of you know some of the lower country <laughs> i've been like i said i'm kind of that mid elevation yellow grass country where um you know i think might be kind of at the top end of of the the elevation that they like to be at but th- i mean they're all over the place i've i've taken my kids um in the summertime camping up north you know in the in the timber up in the in the pines and driving through and, and seeing a, a herd of javelin up there so i mean they're all over the state again just you know different different terrain but i don't i don't really uh focus in on them so i, I like i said i don't really have a I don't really have a honey hole for, for javelina, but javelina is right. a, uh, me neither. It's not, a, yeah. So yeah, javelina <laughs> is a, uh, it's still a, per, a permit tag. Um, it's not a hundred percent over the counter. So you do have to draw a tag, but a lot of the units have leftover tags that aren't, uh, you know, that the, the applications didn't, uh, you know, make the numbers so there's some leftovers that people can pick up but for the most part gotcha. you want to put in for a draw if you know you want to hunt them or, or or just pick up a you know a leftover tag i gotcha um you know as far as it comes to actually shooting coos deer i've heard that they are they're like insanely fast um do you, yeah. you know, when you're at full draw, do you find yourself holding, you know, on the heart or do you hold just barely below the heart, um, like in anticipation that they're going to jump the string? I mean, what's kind of your game plan for that? Well, Zach, I, uh, I'm kind of, you know, I've, the animals I've killed with a bow have all been really close. I've, you know, I, gotcha. I, uh, I uh, just, for some reason, I just, I just like getting in close on them. I uh, actually listened to uh, one of your last podcasts you, uh, with Jordan, where you guys were talking about distances and you know how everybody's kind of got a different comfort range or you know different styles of hunting. My, my, uh, my wheelhouse has been you know pretty much forty-five yards or in on the critters I've been shooting with my bow. So I just, 
I try to get in on that, that 50 and in type range where, you know, where if I make a small little mistake or, um, a, a strings jumped or whatever, you know, a, a, a steps, you know, a step is made after I release or whatever that I just have a little more room for error. And, uh, like, like I said, just naturally for some reason, I just feel like I, I need to get that close, but, um, yeah, it's just kind of my style. Everybody's got a different style. No, I th- I think that's awesome. Like I, I I definitely try to get as close as I can. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you're probably a yeah, lot better at stalking sure. than I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but no, I I uh, yeah, I just uh, you know, I I, I try to shoot year round. Um, sometimes you know, I find myself you know not shooting as much as I like to. Um, you know, I used to you know, living in a more rural environment, I was able to, sh- you know, shoot a ton more and, you know, living in a, a metropolitan city makes it a little tougher to, to, to shoot as much as I'd like to at the distances that I'd like to do for, you know, practicing. So, but yeah, gotcha. my wheelhouse, is, my wheelhouse is pretty tight. And, um, I mean, I don't get like buck fever per se. Like I'm, I'm usually pretty calm and collected when i have an animal at at bow range you know usually i'm not focused on antlers or not freaking out but it all seems to happen so you know kind of fast and almost like a blur for me where it's just i i you know i'll range and dial my side in and uh you know i'll put that pin on there and just kind of more muscle memory than any type of thinking at all so i usually just kind of you know behind the shoulder lung shots are kind of what i aim for for just about anything I'm hunting. I got you. I, I noticed you said that you dial your sight. Are you shooting a, a single pin side or do you shoot a, a, a mover with a couple pins? So, yeah, I started off shooting a, um, I started off shooting a, uh, adjustable site, you know, our mover site, slider site, whatever you want to call it. But, um, started shooting one of those handful of years ago before that I was shooting like fixed pins set, like seven pin sites and found that, when I met up with buddies and we're shooting 80 yards or whatever, um, my bow was too slow to actually get a pin on there. So I'd be, you know, basically putting my bubble on the target and, you know, trying to, uh, yeah. Kentucky windage, <laughs> some shots in a long distance, you know, I so, did so much of that. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. So I, uh, made the move into a five pin slider site years ago and I set it up, you know, so that I was 20 through 60, you know, when my, my uh, needle was in the home position, but I set my sights up so that I can dial in for closer distances also. So if I want to shoot exactly 22 yards, I could dial in, you know, closer range also. But I, uh, recently I moved, I guess it's been a couple seasons, two or three seasons now, but I moved down to a three pin site, but I've gotten in this habit now where I'm basically, I mean, I'm basically shooting a single pin like system but i have three pins there like i hardly ever shoot pin gaps now i'm pretty i have two pins in there just kind of hardly ever get used and i'm, I'm always just, just dialing my out. bottom pin but yeah I'm, I'm i talked about you know i've been telling myself i just need to pull those things out of there but you know with a uh you know with a vertical single pin your pin is pretty much centered inside of your site housing right so yeah. So you're kind of restricted, you know, on your velocity, you know, and your and your bow setup to how far you can dial that sight down. Well, with a horizontal pin, you know, as your 
you know, your rover pin, you can, you know, you can kind of bump that thing down in the site housing a little bit and kind of gain another 20, you know, 10, 20, 30 yards, depending on your setup. So I've been thinking for a while now, just pulling my other two pins and basically running a single pin, you know, a horizontal pin. And I kind of keep that rover pin like down the bottom, like third of my site housing that way i can you know get the most out of it for adjustability i got you yeah no that makes perfect sense i uh i went to a, a single pin slider uh gosh i don't know four or five years ago and uh i i've noticed that it, that i aim better at long distances i don't have you know that that target panic as bad i mean yeah there's sometimes i still have it but man when i had yeah. When I had six or seven pins out there. It just was, it was pretty rough for me. I just, <laughs> come on, yeah. put that yellow one on there and the green one would pass it and away we'd go. <laughs> right. And you'd have like two or, th you know, two yellows and two greens. So you're almost, you know, you're counting them like toes and fingers trying to figure out where you're at too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? That's, that's exactly what, you know, Okay, heat of the moment, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know? It's like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah. you should know that. <laughs> but, yeah, I describe, you know, when I'm talking uh, slider sights with people, it's, you know, it's like a, a custom turret on a rifle scope. I mean, I really do like to uh, dial in for exact yardage, you know, and practice shooting, you know, s you know, like basically single pin. That way, you know, if you make a mistake, it's not your, you know, your gap shooting or um, – you know, you know that you either dial in the wrong, you know, the wrong distance, or you just made a bad shot. So it kind of takes the some of those elements out of the way. Yeah, and, and on top of it, you know, you just have that much more confidence. You know, you you line out an animal uh, out there at at forty three yards, and you just move your pin to exactly forty three yards. It, you know, you you don't you don't pin gap and go, Oh, that, that looks pretty close, you know, and then shoot over them. I mean, you just 43 yards and put your pin right where yeah. you need it. And that, I think that, I mean, that helps me a bunch, just always putting the pin where I need it as opposed to trying to guesstimate. Yeah, no, it's definitely reassuring for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, you know, what, what's your arrow setup look like? So, um, I'm shooting a, uh, I don't know if you want to, I'm not sponsored by anybody, but I shoot a gold tip, uh, kinetic chaos. It's kind of a little heavier arrow cool. for spine. So I'm, I shoot a, uh, the complete arrow is uh, 419 grains, not super heavy, not real light, just kind of medium. I call it medium heavyweight. Um, um basically you know i haven't gotten too crazy with veins over the years i always just kind of bought all my kind of one-stop shop through gold tip and uh have been shooting their uh raptor veins which are basically have a blazer type profile like a two inch kind of you know taller taller vein real similar to a blazer but i've been shooting those for a while and they seem to work well for me i know a lot of guys are you know constantly experimenting and shooting different stuff but those have worked for me and i haven't had any problems steering my broadheads and uh, you know i'm just kind of one of those guys that you know if it ain't broke don't fix it type of thing you know if it's working good i just kind of right. kind of stick, stick with it you know but 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I've shot, uh, you know, I used to shoot mechanicals back in the day. Um, now I've, I mean, for years and years now, I've been shooting uh, a fixed broadhead. Uh, basically, the, the trophy taker uh, shuttle T-lock's been my broadhead of choice. Okay. Yeah, like yeah, the uh, yeah, I like the non the non blade the non vented blades uh, seem to be real quiet. You don't get a bunch of air passing through them, and they seem to be sharp and tough enough. Yeah, absolutely. I had those a, a while back, and and they are they are definitely tough. That's for sure. Um, I I didn't have them for super long. I only bought one pack, but yeah, you're not kidding. Those things. <laughs> You could definitely hit some stuff with those, and and they, I think they would hold up no problem. <laughs> yeah, they seem to they seem to work pretty good. You know, just you know, um, I've worked in that retail retail setting for a while, selling hunting hunting products. But you know, I've had guys ask me, you know, broadhead suggestions for years, and uh, you know, it's just kind of to me, it's just you know, pick one and start experimenting with it, and get your bow tuned and you know, as long as you hit them in the right spot, they're going to, you know, typically do their job. You know, obviously, if you make a bad shot, one could possibly help you more than the other. But, but I don't, you know, I found one that worked for me, just kind of stuck with it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, I, you, you, I'm, I'm like you. People, people ask, you know, you probably get it more than I do being on the retail side. But with the podcast and whatever else there – what kind of broadhead do you have? And what do you recommend? And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's so much, so many questions that generally go into that. However, I think, I think the big push for, uh, mechanicals is kind of on the ass end of people uh, not knowing how to tune their bow correctly. So that, uh, a solid broadhead flies you know or they don't right. have the right arrows or you know they go buy a $1,300 bow and then they go buy $3 arrows from Walmart or you know there's like there's yeah. so much stuff that can go into it not that I'm the all-knowing guy when it comes to tuning a bow because I'm not, I'm not even close but I, I think that that I think people's decision is really tainted by well, I think if I get these mechanic or these fixed blades, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get them to fly. So I guess I'll get a mechanical, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, that's kind of where I, where I would typically steer somebody if they're, you know, getting pretty close to season and they're not real competent on broadhead tuning. You know, I just buy a, buy a pack of some mechanicals and, shoot them go for it you know not just go start shooting my animals but definitely start practicing with it and they're less likely to know how to tune their bow to you know make their field points and broadheads hit the same point so it's just you know a lot of guys get themselves in trouble and um i've talked with some guys and you know on that topic too as far as broadhead tuning and you know i know some guys that are um some i guess i'd call them diehard bow hunters but they uh you know, basically just sight in for the broadhead. So they'll shoot field points and then kind of switch over to broadheads and just sight in for the broadhead if it makes a, a different impact in their field points. But I typically like them to, you know, they hit the same spot. So I'll tune the bow to do so. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That makes perfect sense. And then you just, you just once goes back to that confidence thing, you know, we were just talking about it. Confidence is king when you're out there, especially when it's mano y mano, you know, <laughs> you against that animal. It's right. Confidence will help you out a bunch. 
for sure. So to kind of in it, finish up this, uh, finish up the podcast. Uh, I was wondering if you would just share the story of your, of your coos hunt this year. Um, it looks, sure. man, that buck is just so cool looking the real chocolate horns. He looks like he's got real heavy horns. It's just a really cool looking buck. Congratulations yeah. on that thing. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, he's a cool buck, but yeah. So I, you know, honestly, I started off the late season trying to, um, trying to dial in another mule deer spot. I've been kind of a, a I guess, a self-proclaimed proclaimed, uh, mule deer junkie. I just, for some reason, I've always been gravitated towards mule deer. I've always had a, a love for hunting all deer, but so yeah, I was kind of in a, uh, um, a unit that holds both coos deer and mule deer. And, um, in the late season, I just honestly kind of started from scratch and started checking out new areas from what my early hunts were because my early uh, season spots just kind of seemed to kind of peter out once the rifle season went through. All the, the spots I had the bucks in, kind of the does had moved in, and which could have been good for the rut. But just kind of things just kind of changed, and I just I guess I was kind of needing a change, so I started picking out some new terrain and uh, just basically going to some spots that I had been before a really long time ago, or some kind of semi-familiar areas and started hitting some terrain looking for mule deer and um found some some mule deer but it was uh not quite the populations that I was seeing and one day I was in this area on a uh on a vantage point glass in the back side of this uh butte that I was watching some mule deer on the day before and I was glassing in the opposite direction uh doing some long distance glassing and I uh picked up a couple coos deer uh looks like some okay bucks and um you know watch them uh basically cruise over that uh, predominant ridge that i kind of mentioned that um seems to kind of work out for me these ridges but so anyways that uh -huh. night after i got after i got done hunting that particular area um was running like a mobile truck camp so i made it back to the truck and jumped in there and basically uh traveled some uh I guess, I guess you can call them like a Jeep trail, but, um, took these, uh, this, uh, dirt road back in a little bit further to kind of get myself in more proximity to where I saw those deer that, that, that morning and, uh, started hunting, um, a new vantage point close to this predominant ridge. I seen those bucks move, move over and, um, just kind of just started getting in the deer and, uh, glassed up a couple nice bucks and you know got some plays over the course of a couple of days it seemed like um i'd see a buck you know cruise you know um hanging out with some does and I'd make a move and get to you know where i thought i would try to relocate them at and it just seemed as if they vanished and that kind of kept happening to me um i think that happened a couple weekends in a row where i, I was getting in deer and just every time i'd make a move i just just would lose them it wasn't even like they were uh like i was spooking them or busting them i would get into you know 70 80 yards where i thought i'd relocate them and just gone and in pretty open terrain huh. pretty open terrain where i'd think you know if i did bust them or they did move um you know i'd be able to pick them up again but they just seem to vanish in thin air it's just uh they're real can be pretty tricky so anyways uh kind of you know just kind of felt found a little spot where there was you know i was consistently finding bucks and 
the rut was kicking in and um i actually went out to this area on christmas day and uh spent, really yeah spent some time in there i uh um seemed like it was just fired up christmas day i, I found some good bucks and uh, uh so hunted that got i think i got an evening play in where i was able to slide in on a deer but long story short kind of found this little uh honey hole it was working good for me and uh basically just pounding it every weekend and uh so one weekend you know i basically hunt by myself after uh i spend my hard-earned money on gas and stuff and I, I have this weird i don't know if i call it a phobia but i have a weird thing about taking um people in the spots and and then uh, them telling their buddy and their buddy telling their buddy and their buddy telling their buddy so i uh I'm Before pretty, you know, you got the whole state of Montana there. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty uh, quiet when it comes to where I hunt. You know, a lot of guys like to throw out what units they're hunting in or whatever, and I just, I just kind of, kind of keep to myself. But um, and that was kind of the, kind of the, the hunting social aspect of Montana too. You don't ask people where they're hunting at; just kind of the unspoken rule. But so regardless, I, right, uh, right. I was pretty much hit the spot by myself and I, uh, had made kind of a new buddy since I moved back down here in the state. And, um, we had, I had, we had came with me once to my early mule deer spot. He, uh, likes to run camera and kind of play around with the cameras and, and just likes to be out. So anyways, I drug him to the spot. We, um, drove out there and basically hit the spot. Uh, I don't know, it was probably like midnight or something like that. Throw the cots on the ground. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, pr pretty minimalist. I'm usually just throwing the cot on the ground, sleeping bag, and you know, just wide open or sleeping in the back of the truck that style, just so I can move around and I don't have to set up a tent or any of that stuff. So, anyways, we got up and um, moved on to my uh, main vantage point on this ridge and started glassing and. Uh, First thing in the morning, we glassed up a couple of um, a couple bucks off in the distance over a ridge, kind of like in a they're kind of in a bowl, I guess you could say. But a couple of single bucks that were just kind of feeding. They weren't, they didn't appear to be rutting or anything like that. Kind of watched them, filmed them for a while, and then I uh, glassed up a little bit closer, right off that that predominant ridge. A uh, a big weird two point that I've been watching for a while that um, I posted some video of and uh, had a couple guys um, reassure me that or not reassure, but they've uh, told me that it's, it's a hybrid. It's a mule deer and a coos deer cross, which it just blows my mind. So it's like a whole new topic for me and <laughs> something that I, <laughs> right. Just, just, yeah. Like I said, just mind blown. Like what? I thought it was just a, you know, just a big funky two point coos deer, but yeah, it totally looks like a, you know, coos deer, but he's got a, um, you know, he's got a white tail style tail, but it, it's got a black tip on it. And then he's got a kind of a mainframe two point. He's got eye guards and he's a, he's a nice buck, but I've been watching him. I think I filmed him on four or five different occasions now, separate days, just some, a buck that can turn up just pretty much nonstop. But so anyways, glassed him up first thing in the morning. He was just cruising. He was hot on hot on a trail of some doe. So uh, got set got set the glass set up on him. Started watching him. He was moving 
um, you know, quick enough that really couldn't, you know, go after him yet. And so we just kind of kept our eyes on him and um, shortly after glassed up another buck and uh, he was on kind of a ridge in between us and those first two bucks that we saw. So anyways, as the, the morning kind of played out, you know, that 9.30, 10.30 type hour, um, all these bucks ended up to be kind of like in the same general area. So um, I, I made the call to pack everything up. You know, at this point, you know, the um, pretty much all the deer were out of sight. The two bucks that we glassed up first thing in the morning, watched watched each of them bed, and then I think they got up and moved to a second bed. So, anyways, made a play um, to higher ground, cruised the ridge up, and caught the top of this butte to a new vantage point where I could see into this bowl where all four of these bucks had kind of ended up ended up going to or ended up hanging out at, and uh, started glassing and. Uh, Ended up picking up a buck. I think he was one of the first two that I saw in the morning. You know, pretty much all of them are shooters in my book. I just kind of an opportunistic hunter. You know, I'm not. I don't like shooting. Yeah, yeah. Don't like shooting baby deer, but I'm not. Uh, not on any type of super trophy mentality. So if it's a a good respectable deer, I'm pretty much. I pretty much go after him for the play. So, anyways, I uh, glassed up one of the bucks that we saw. That morning, he was uh, bedded um, off of a, another ridge, and uh, there was a, uh, I guess my landmark was a uh, yellow grass kind of opening patch on this ridge, juniper trees. So anyways, I just, uh, you know, glassed, glassed him up. I filmed him for a little bit and just decided that, you know, I, was, I had a good feeling that he was probably going to get up out of his bed and probably move on me just just I just didn't really like how he was bedded he was kind of in the open and as the sun was kind of coming more on the you know on the south end uh, you know I figured that he'd end up getting up but so I just decided to go after him and so I packed up all my stuff my bag and used this uh the top of this basically it was a mesa kind of a flat top mountain and I cruised the rim over on top of the ridge that he was bedded on and uh, just took my time over there didn't want to jump any other bucks or you know make any mistakes so i took it slow i found that over the years that if i rush myself or try to get all excited usually things just go to pot so i play it slow and just kind of get there and if he's not there anymore or something changes it's just kind of the way it goes so anyways i got over there and left my buddy on the vantage um it's another thing that really helps out hunting these deer is just having a spotter somebody to kind of keep track of where the deer are in in the Arizona it's legal to use uh you know two-way communication while hunting so um, gotcha, some guys gotcha. run radio yeah some guys run radios I don't get crazy with you know earbud radios or anything like that but you know we might occasionally um you know just touch base that way you're not wasting your time on a buck that's spooked away or something like that you know just kind of reassure uh-huh. that you know so anyways I got on the ri- where that bedded buck was and started just kind of tiptoeing my way through rocks and bushes and trees and uh, just trying to make my way to this open yellow grass meadow type um, feature that was um, just up the ridge from him. It was probably looking back, it was probably only like a 50 yard, 60 yard kind of opening where it's just kind of 
didn't really have any trees. But anyway, started moving uh-huh. down, moving down the ridge above him, and uh, I saw with my naked eye, I saw a deer um, kind of moving through the trees just down below that meadow from right to left. And uh, my spotter let me know that my buck got up out of his bed and he didn't have any idea where he was. And uh, there was a a glass of dough bedded up and, you know, he was kind of relaying me some information. But sometimes, you know, talking with somebody else, it can kind of of confuse you too. So I just kind of took it for food for food for thought that the buck wasn't in the spot anymore and there was other deer down there so basically communication pretty much stopped from there but anyways i kind of tiptoed through that meadow and got to the bottom edge of it and had this kind of narrow alley through the trees i just stood there for a little while just kind of waiting to see if uh you know something would move or i could hear or just you know, I had the wind right. I kind of figured that maybe that buck had gotten up and fed from the south side of that ridge, the north side, you know, to kind of get out of the sun. But um, didn't really have any idea what was going on. So, anyways, I got kind of hung out. You know, I was probably I'm gonna guess I was probably 70 or 80 yards from where that deer was bedded originally, and uh-huh. uh, I just kind of stood there. Just kind of stood there and uh, had the wind right for where that deer was before and, you know, um, hung out there, just kind of stood there thinking what I was going to do was I going to back back up and kind of circle around or, uh, you know, everything looks different and things just kind of change once you get over there. So uh, while I was standing there trying to figure out what to do as a few minutes passed by, I heard a sound to my right and I looked to my right through this juniper tree that was right next to me. And through the tree, just on the other side of it, probably 12 feet away, was a, a coos deer standing, staring through me, <laughs> staring through the tree right at me. And I could tell he had a, you know, there's a, the tree's pretty thick, but I can get a good silhouette of the buck. And he had a nice frame on him. I'm pretty sure that I walked, like, right in on that thing while he was bedded. And he got up out of his bed. And, you know, like I said, he stared right through the tree at me. But... Anyways, I didn't spook him. He uh, just stared at me for just a couple seconds and uh, started cruising, uh, started walking the opposite direction, kind of towards where that that uh, other deer was bedded when I originally went down there. So, you know, I had a deer real close in proximity, so I knocked an arrow and uh, took a couple real careful steps around that tree just to see if I couldn't catch like a quartering way shot on him. And as I... Uh, stepped around the tree and kind of looked he was he was gone i didn't even couldn't see him so i stared through the trees just to see if i can catch any movement or anything like that didn't didn't see him so i uh circled around that tree that he was on the other side of and i found his fresh tracks in the dirt and i just basically started tracking him and uh probably only tracked him for i mean seven or eight yards or something like that and then i started hearing a dough uh-huh. and then i started hearing a dough blow um you know kind of a, a warning sound that <laughs> and uh i was like yeah 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 you know i was like shit what the hell happened uh <laughs> you know like, the wind the wind's perfect and i mean i was just creeping i mean i was dead silent not kicking rocks not crunching on anything just everything was perfect so i was kind of kind of confused so anyways, I just kind of, I, I was pretty dang close 
back to the edge of that meadow that I was kind of using as my reference point or that deer was pretty close to when you, that one I originally went on the stalk on. And, uh, so anyways, I made it to the edge of that meadow and I started hearing buck grunts. Um, it sounded like two or three different bucks grunting and that doe would blow occasionally. And, um, so anyways, I still had an arrow knocked from when I originally saw that other deer. And I've, I probably only literally have only traveled like 15 yards from that spot where I was standing, where I had to stare down with that buck through the tree. I didn't, it wasn't really far. Maybe it was 20 yards, but anyways, I made it to the edge of that meadow. I can hear, uh, this doe blowing bucks, just grunting, uh, like two or three different bucks. And, uh, I knelt down the edge of that meadow and, um, just kind of listened and stared through the trees and I, saw a buck cruising um just downhill from me he was just kind of postured up and was grunting and uh, uh when i originally saw him he was walking uh, opposite direction of me and just like uh just like he read a script he just made a 180 and um i had already ranged kind of ranged a few different areas around me as i was kneeled down the edge of that meadow and uh he came right around this tree that he was on the other side of you know that was obstructing me from getting a shot on him and i just got done ranging the spot at 33 yards and he made that 180 and came running in and stopped right at 33 yards right in front of me and uh oh he, man uh, he actually uh you know right when he stopped he looked directly in my direction like right at me turned stared back through the trees opposite of me so i was able to draw my bow at that time and then he uh uh, turned and looked right at, like basically looked right in my direction again. And by that time I kind of had my pin settled and let the shot rip. And, uh, man, that thing, uh, arrow, uh, I basically sh shoulder punched him. I hit him a little bit further forward than I wanted to just shoulder punched him and, uh, uh -huh. just loud cracking sound. He took off immediately, you know, made that 180 and just gone. And, um, commotion from other deer as they're you know running down below us and I can hear that doe blowing and just kind of just chaos happen but um, you know I, I uh, haven't had good experience I haven't shot you know animals in the shoulder and had bad experiences but I just know that shoulders is definitely not a place I typically want to hit I, I shoot a shorter draw length and um, you know not shoot yeah shoot. me too i'm a sawed off son of a bitch yeah so i shoot you know 27 and a half inch draw length and i've been shooting 65 63 pounds i shoot lighter poundage and uh shot him just basically center punched his shoulder and uh kind of had a a sick feeling at first but um my uh back po pocket vibrated and um there was a congratulations message for my spotter, my spotter buddy. So, Oh, wicked cool. He so got to see it crack. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, he was up on the vantage point and he kind of saw the whole thing kind of go down. He, um, you know, like I said, there was a pretty good term there where we didn't communicate at all, but, um, so yeah, I center punched him in the shoulder. I, uh, was able to find, he, you know, he had told me, he sent me a text message and said that, uh, you know, that, basically the deer had ran, you know, three legged downhill and crashed and was thrashing. You know, he could see him through a tree, but you know, couldn't really see him just saw him thrashing and stuff. So anyways, I, I found my arrow, um, in kind of in the branches of that or below that tree, um, uh, that I shot him in front of. And, uh, I had about 
six inches of penetration or so, and the arrow is broken off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no blood past the brakes. I mean, just clean, you know, just a, just a clean break and had some blood on the, bro- on the broken arrow. I started kind of looking around for sign, you know, for blood and signs of something, the trail and, uh, God, I just had absolutely like no blood at the, the spot of impact. So, uh, I, we, uh, I waited for about 45 minutes. I just kind of hung out 20, 30 yards from the shot and just kind of was going over tracks and just trying to figure out, you know, my best approach is if I were to have to try to track them, but my buddy was kind of locked in on the spot where he saw him thrashing. So we waited about 45 minutes and, uh, after time passed, um, basically got on communication with my buddy and, um, he walked me right into the spot where he last seen him and uh, I found the buck and he was flat on his back and his uh, front legs were in a, a praying position and uh, he was stone cold dead. But uh, kind of backing, so cool. backing up in the, backing up in the, yeah, backing up in the story a little bit. But as that buck was standing there right at me uh, or, you know, right there at 33 yards, I thought he was just a, uh, you know, in my mind, a, a small three point, you know, just a, a good three point buck. Um, he, he looked, he was so big on the hoof. That I think his antlers just looked a whole lot smaller when he was standing up. But anyways, got down there to him, just flat on his back. And, uh, I couldn't see any, I was about, I don't know, 10 yards away and I couldn't even see any antlers at all. I just, you know, see deer body and I, his uh, antlers were kind of buried in a bunch of juniper branches. So I started kind of digging around in the branches and kind of, you know, getting ready to pull them out of there and then kind of realized like, Oh man, I got a, you know, got a pretty nice buck here. So I was uh, delightly surprised, you know, he, uh, he grew, um, from, you know, from what I saw on the hoof when I shot him at 33 yards to recover him, he was uh, a lot more impressive than I was anticipating. So I was, I was pretty happy with that, but yeah, I was just ecstatic. I was happy. Um, you know, I would have, would have shot a, you know, a small, a smaller buck or, you know, but, uh, just like I said, just kind of opportunity, just looking for mature bucks and, uh, and, uh, yeah, he was a good one. So yeah, I snapped a couple pictures on my own and then my buddy came down. I, after I snapped a couple, you know, doing the 10 second timer on my own. Um, you know, I was just like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait for my buddy. My buddy had two tripods and like 30 pounds of, of <laughs> camera works. equipment. So I was like, I'll just wait for him, let him do his deal. So he came yeah. down and we took some, we took, some, we took some good pictures and, uh, kind of soaked it in. That was, man, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, uh, yeah. Big, so, uh, couple questions that i have about the hunt itself is um you know when when uh the deer was staring at you intently through the trees and then took off and you said you started following its tracks uh were you following those you know really really slow basically as if you were stalking an animal slow or yeah okay that's kind of what i figured yeah so like like i said like i was standing in that spot literally just like what do i do now and i was probably you know i was probably standing there for five minutes and then just heard the sound and i look over and there's a deer just on the other side of the tree from me you know and this isn't like a your normal this this is like a juniper so it's a you know it's a pretty 
the branches go pretty low on the tree. It's not like a, you know, a pine that's, you know, got a solid trunk and there's nothing down below, you know, like a canopy style tree. So, I mean, it's a basic, it's basically a big bush, but, but yeah, we're basically staring at each other and just, he probably saw my silhouette and I saw his, and I mean, I was perfectly still and the, the wind was in my favor, um, which was planned, you know, just to where I saw that original buck bedded, but yeah, he just kind of calmly walked away and you know just keeping calm and collected myself i just you know i pulled an arrow out really slow knocked it really slow took uh like two or three steps on you know bigger rocks you know so that i'm not crunching gravel and stuff basically just the you know the yeah um you know, the, the balls of my feet you know just kind of walking on some real you know really big rocks anyways i got just got enough around the tree where i could kind of see where the direction was going and he was already gone by the time i you know knocked the arrow and took those few steps so i just tiptoed around the tree and i found these real fresh tracks in the dirt and um i i did what i would call like uh just kind of indian creep you know i had an arrow knocked and was yeah. just going as slow as as slow as you can go gotcha Gotcha. And then uh, one thing, a buddy of mine actually told me, you know, you know, because it's such a pain in the ass to put the 10 second timer on and try and take a picture. And he yeah. goes, you know what I do is he said, I just, I just set up my phone or whatever. And I just turn the video on and then I'll go and I'll yeah, take that's... a pose and I'll hold it for three or four seconds. And then the next pose, the next pose. And then, and obviously that works great if you're just using, you know, the the screenshot or whatever to send to people or put on Instagram. But if you actually want to print that off, it'd probably be pretty blurry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's a good idea. I do that a lot with my uh, my uh, phone when I'm taking video through my spotting scope. You know, I'll, uh, I set it up on video and I just run video and then, you know, take some snapshots of my video just to kind of get better looks at or share or whatever. But uh Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good yeah, idea. Said, oh, man. Yeah, that's a... yeah I, he said that, and I was like, I wish you'd have told me that like before I knew you. <laughs> yeah, I could have used that a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, that might be a new uh, new tool in my toolbox for next time I shoot one by myself. Right? I, I used it this year, and I and I had forgotten about it. I shot this buck. I'm down there. I'm trying to take pictures, and it was so cold that the the temperature was messing with my DSLR. It was messing with the timer on it. So I was setting up the phone, and then it was doing the same thing. So it's like, oh yeah, what did John say? Take a video. So I just that's what I did. You know, I just took a video and got some really great pictures. <laughs> I was impressed. Nice. Heck yeah. Yeah. But well, I I can't thank you enough for you know taking the time out of your evening and and hopping on the podcast. I mean, you don't know me from Adam, so you know no, I appreciate I'm, you. Yeah, no, I'm taking fam- the time. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm familiar with uh, you. You know, I followed you on on Instagram for a while, and one thing that I've um, you know I've always that I have admired about you is that you know the the time that you're uh, sharing that with your kids, you know, taking your kids out hiking and hunting and stuff like that. I'm pretty passionate about uh, spending time in the outdoors with my kids too. So I, you know, I've got a, a kid backpack carrier that I've been, my uh, youngest one's four now, but you know, I've been packing her around the woods, you know, bear hunting and up, up mountain <laughs> yep. uh, for a long time. And uh, in sub, you know, in the, you know, below freezing temperatures and, uh, you know, I've, I, so I've, 
you know, that's uh, something I'd say we have in common. You know, you, I can see that you like hanging out with your kids and uh, sharing your adventures with them and uh, I admire that for sure. Well, thank you very much. That means a lot because it, I don't know, I, I'd rather take them than shoot a 200 inch deer, honestly. And yeah, people probably think I'm crazier than hell for saying that, but no, I, I just would. I'd rather, I'd rather go out there and have my little boy with me and shoot a 130 inch four by four and him be there than. Well, now I got two little boys. We just had another one. He's about five weeks old now. So, nice. uh, yeah, yeah. So now he was, he was actually in my, I had one of those baby chest carriers today and I was walking the hill behind the house with weight in my pack. So nice. he's getting his first taste. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. But, but yeah. But, well, awesome, man. Well, thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. No problem. Anytime, man. I, uh, enjoyed it. It was fun. Thank you for tuning in to the show. It means a lot to us. But seriously, though, I really appreciate your ear. And it would mean the world to me if you would rate our podcast. If you didn't like it, one star it. But if you did, a five is even better. Don't forget to comment, like, share, and hit that subscribe button. Thanks again for tuning into the show. Some other podcasts that you should definitely check out are... Eastman Elevated with Bride and Barney. And Hunt Harvest Health with Ryan and Hillary Lampers. And a special thanks to Maven Optics, Six Sight Gear, Dark Energy Tech, Shield Mountain Outdoors, The Outdoor Insiders, Iron Mind Hunting, Valkyrie Archery, and Gannett Ridge Sporting Equipment.